This podcast contains discussion about adult topics. Use your judgment if there are little ears around. Hello and welcome to Doing It. This is a podcast made by the Family Planning Victoria Schools and Community Team. My name's Anne, I'm part of the team and we go to schools and run classes for all year levels on bodies, growing up, puberty, sex, reproduction and relationships. This podcast is for parents and carers of school-aged children so that we can share what goes on in a relationships and sexuality education class and help support these sorts of conversations at home. This is the first episode of 2020, so welcome back. Thanks for listening. We have lots planned for the upcoming year, so look out for new episodes. Subscribe and rate if you like the podcast. Also, please contact me at Doing it at fpv.org.au if you have a suggestion of something you'd like more information about. Today I'm talking to Natalie, who works at FPV in community engagement and health promotion. We're starting the year with a topic that I think is so useful to think about in any setting, and we can apply it to all the podcast episodes. We're talking today about inclusive language. This is especially important to educators in schools because when talking about bodies or relationships or families, we want to make sure every person in the room can be part of the conversation. For example, a person living in a foster or adoptive home might feel really excluded if we always refer to the adults at home as their birth parents. An intersex person might feel excluded if we only talk about bodies as being either male or female. A same-sex attracted person might feel excluded if we only talk about relationships as heterosexual or that the only type of sex is the type that makes a baby. We are really careful about our language. Natalie is going to talk us through best practice with inclusive language and help us think about the little things we can do to make sure everyone is part of the conversation. So thank you Natalie for talking to me today. No problem. Hi, Anne. Hi. Uh, Can you, uh, first up, just explain a little bit about your role at FPV? Yep. So my title at FPV is Community Engagement and Health Promotion Officer, um, which is quite varied, but basically I work kind of across all teams um, and in conversation with our priority populations and all of the different communities that we serve to try and find out ways of speaking to people about how we can make our sexual and reproductive health clinic services and education and information more inclusive um, Mm -hmm. and accessible for people. Great. Can you give an example of a priority population? Yep. So a priority population is sort of, I guess for us, they're they're sort of dictated by the Department of Health and Human Services. So populations that might be seen as... um, more vulnerable or requiring um, more support in achieving health outcomes. So some of those might be people living with disability, might be young people, um, LGBTQI plus people, people from refugee and migrant backgrounds as well. So we're talking a bit today about inclusive language. Now I pulled this from the Tasmanian Department of Education. They published a document titled Guidelines for Inclusive Language, which I thought was very helpful of them. Um, So they say... What is inclusive language? Inclusive language is language that is free from words, phrases or tones that reflect prejudiced, stereotyped or discriminatory views of particular people or groups. It's also language that doesn't deliberately or inadvertently exclude people from being being seen as part of a group. Inclusive language is sometimes called non-discriminatory language. So in what ways can language show prejudice or stereotype? 
I think if we're talking inclusive language, that term alone is pretty broad, but it can, you know, it can be if we're talking in terms of race or if we're talking in terms of someone living with a disability or culture, I think we're quite across, or I'd like to think that today we're across um, how to speak in non-discriminatory ways around that. When it comes to sexuality and gender, I think that's another big one and something that's certainly obvious for us in the work we do at FPV. Um, But I think there are a few ways in which our regular everyday language that we're accustomed to can really perpetuate um, sexuality and gender stereotypes and often it can do it with that we can do that without even meaning to yep I agree can you give an example of what some common things people might say yeah so I think in terms of kind of the uh, heteronormative um, sexuality and gender assumptions you know it might be you know a husband and wife are married, a straight couple are married um, and the husband picks up the kids from school and people might be like, oh, your husband picks up the kids from school, that's so great, or assuming that someone has a husband, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and sort of saying to someone, you know, saying to a young child or, you know, take this home and give it to your mum and dad without thinking that, you know, they may potentially have two mums or two dads or, you know, they may have lost a parent. Um, So that's something that we kind of always need to think about mm. and we often do those things without realizing yeah and they pl- it plays out so much when we're talking to young um children as well you know the gender stereotyping we really perpetuate and it seems um really harmless um in terms of you know how young children play like this is a boy's toy or this is a girl's toy or you know the behavior that we kind of you know, project onto different genders to perform, sort of mm. saying, you know, you know, in a classroom, can I get two strong boys to help me pick up these things? Mm. You know, and if you sort of pick out those examples, people don't think they're that big a deal, but they actually do have an impact they over time. Add up. Mm. So what are some things people can think about if they'd like to practice using inclusive language? I think the number one thing is to not, don't make assumptions about who you're addressing and who you're speaking to. Think about you know, if you sort of are talking to a group of people, think about, you know, there could be diversity within that group and you don't know anybody's experience. You don't know how they identify when it comes to their gender. You don't know their background. You know, they may be living with, you know, an invisible illness or a disability that doesn't seem um, physical or, you know, doesn't stand out to you. And the way that we speak to people really flags whether we're a safe space or Mm. a safe person to talk to. So I think not making assumptions is probably um, the number one thing and also asking people if there's something you're not sure of um, and you want to make sure that you're creating an inclusive space. But I guess on that, you want to ask people, you know, for example, um, you know, what's your pronoun if Mm. you're unsure of their gender identity or expression? But I think we also need to be careful about asking people for information that we actually don't need. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes, uh, you know, with best interest at heart, mm. um, you know, we can ask people information about themselves or their backgrounds or their experience because we want to be creating an inclusive space. But sometimes it's information that we don't actually mm. need to know. So maybe just thinking about that Limit, a little bit. Limiting it to relevant information yeah, to be inclusive as well. Exactly, yeah. to what you yeah. need. And I think the other thing is, I think it always helps to kind of listen to stories and experiences that are outside of your own or what you're used to. So that might be, you know, reading 
you know, a post on a Facebook page that you normally wouldn't or listening Mm. to a podcast on a topic that you might not normally and kind of listening without being defensive but just kind of absorbing different ways of thinking. Mm. I think that's also important for seeing um, Mm. other views and, yeah. Yep. I've read on the Minus 18 website that sometimes if LGBTQ people are left out of commentary, they feel invisible. Can you explain how this could happen and what's recommended? Yes, this can happen. I think, um, you know, sexuality and relationships education is is a pl- is a environment where this can often happen, not obviously mm. with um, all educators, but this is a space where it definitely can happen. So, you know, if we're talking about, um, you know, what sex is or what types of relationships there are, if they're sort of, if that education's done with a, lens that assumes that everyone is heterosexual that can be quite exclusive I think you know sort of for young for young people I guess thinking about young people assuming you know that they'll have a boyfriend or a girlfriend if you think back to you know when young people are starting to generally date or Mm. you know that kind of thing it's like have you got a girlfriend yet you Mm. know if but you know it could be a you know a young gay man or you know vice versa so I think that's really important and that's a hard one to break because we do that with young kids, young children so early on. Like, you know, if, if there's someone because in kindergarten. Because part of how we yeah. were spoken to as kids as well. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, like a little boy and girl are friends in kinder and it's like, oh, they're going to get married. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like if you said that about two little girls who were best friends, people would be like, like that's perverted yep and that's we need to really examine why we think about why Mm. we think like that so I've got some examples here of like really common things that you hear people say I'll just read them out could you maybe just rephrase to a more inclusive way yes I will try (laughs) (laughs) so if someone is at home with a family and starts asking their kids like are you thinking about dating boys or girls yet How, how could they change that I mean, I probably wouldn't ask that. (laughs) I'd advise them to not ask that question at all. Um, If they really had to, you know, maybe they could say, are you dating? I mean, I think important on that to note too, and I know we'll get to asexuality as well and yeah. but you know not not everyone wants to date do they yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, at school is a bit of an assumption by teachers that relationships in families uh, always contain a mum and a dad so things like take this note home to mum and dad how would we change that could, you could just say can you take this home to the adults in your house or you know parents or carers if you knew but yeah just I think assuming that there's a, a, an adult there is probably the safest way to bet yep what about if in a sex ed class some of the information they get is about contraception and someone might say sex makes a baby so everyone needs to learn about contraception? How would we change that up? Yep. So it's definitely important to learn about contraception generally but I think it's about reframing it so there's all different types of sex and some of that sex, if it involves penis and a vagina, that can make a baby and so that's where contraception would come into play. So I think including what we already have but just broadening the scope of what we're talking about. Yeah. Great. If someone's trying to be inclusive in their language, something that we know is important is to be mindful of pronouns. Talk me through pronouns. So pronouns are the um, the the words that we use in in place of a noun. So um, if I was talking about myself in the third person, instead of Natalie, I would use she. So um, Natalie ran over the hill. She wished she hadn't eaten six almond croissants before she did so. (laughs) 
Um, and so, you know, we often use these in conversation, you know, if we're talking about someone and then, you know, after the first sentence, we then, you know, repeat, we don't want to repeat their name all the time. And it's also, you know, a marker of generally people's gender expression or identity and often we make assumptions about what people's pronouns might be based on what they look like and how we have associated that in our minds. So I think for those of us for whom our pronouns are if we're cisgender and I know we're going to get to that a little bit more we don't we may not think about pronouns um because it seems obvious and it always has been. For some people it might seem obvious but if you know a person is transitioning the use of the correct pronoun is very important. And everyone thinks differently about pronouns. So I guess what are some common pronouns? So he, she, they, and if people identify outside of the gender binary, which is the male, um, female, the man, woman kind of binary, they may choose to adopt they pronouns, which, you know, doesn't really denote any gender. It kind of sits Mm. outside of that. Yep. And it can take a bit of practice getting used to saying those out loud or getting comfortable. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, it's funny. People get really, I don't want to say, I don't want to sound dismissive of pronouns because it is really important. Um, But I think it's very simple and I think we don't need to, if it is simple, but sometimes we get stuck on it. And I think if there's, someone tells us their, their pronoun or if we use the wrong pronoun, I think the best thing to do is just kind of apologize, rectify and just move on swiftly. Don't make a really big deal out of it. It seems like a very unimportant thing, but I think if you have an environment where people want to know, want some clear markers that this might be a safe space and they might be allowed to feel comfortable in their gender identity and expression, asking for people's pronouns and asking everybody for their pronouns Mm. is, is a nice way of saying, you know, like we care about that and we're going to make sure that we address everyone in here with the respect and how they want to be addressed. There seems, apart from pronouns, there seems to be a lot of new terms and words being thrown into the mix around gender and sexuality, uh, especially if you live with a young person. Uh, What do we need to know about the new terms? Do we need to learn them all to be inclusive or to be a friend and ally to, to different types of people? I don't think so. And I think maybe just important to note too that yeah, identities are always, I suppose, developing, but sometimes it may be an identity or a word that's new to you mm-hmm. um, and it's not necessarily, you know, a new word but it, or it's new to the young person yep. in your life in terms of how they're identifying with that. I think we don't need to be across every single identity uh, but it is important to really listen and respect everyone, but especially young people when they're talking about that and they might just be trying it out for a while and that's completely fine. That's, you know, their labels are about how we are identifying ourselves at that time and that might be fluid and it might change. Mm. But and I th- it's also about communicating with other like-minded people yeah. and yeah. getting in touch with, with those people as well. Yeah, so telling people who you are and I think if, you know, there's a young person in your life and they're you know, saying to you, hey, this is how I identify. If you don't, I think don't be af- like, don't be afraid, just be sort of curious and mm. affirming in that and ask questions if, you know, if they want to have a conversation about it. Um, and also, you know, check out resources like this podcast for more information as well. But I think just being a supportive and a supportive place for a young person to give you that information lets them know that later on they can come back and ask you questions and, you know, that's, that's going to be a safe space. Yeah. 
What are some basics that are good to know? Some common terms and words? Some of the basics I think are probably good to know are so cisgender and transgender because I think these are maybe labels that people get confused with. So cisgender, when we're talking about that, it's someone whose gender identity matches the sex that they were assigned at birth. So for me, when I was born, the doctors were like, female sex, a girl, and I was socialised as a girl. Um, And that feels relevant for me and that's how my gender identity um, fits for me. So I would identify as cisgender. Someone who is transgender, their gender identity would not be aligned with the sex that they were assigned at birth. And so that's sort of the difference there. The word intersectional, which basically sometimes intersectional gets subbed in when people just mean diversity. And I see that happening a lot sometimes in organisations, which is not what it actually means. So intersectional was a term that was kind of coined by an African-American civil rights activist and lawyer back in 1989. And it really refers to, I guess, the overlapping identities that one person might have. Think about it like the effect of multiple forms of discrimination. And this is a definition that I've picked out because I wanted mm. to get the language right. So multiple forms of discrimination. So racism, sexism, classism, among others. Mm. And it's kind of like that Venn diagram yeah. where they overlap. They overlap, yeah. So I guess if you think about it in the way that Crenshaw initially described, like that intersection. And I think when she was initially talking about it, it was talking about African-American women who were experiencing racism and sexism at the same time so you know measures that were in place to combat racism weren't really effective for them because they were also being marginalized Mm. by sexism so Mm. yeah and what about the word intersex you mentioned it already what does intersex mean yep so intersex is a term that's used to describe people who are born with um sex chromosomes so including genitals hormones chromosomes that are not easily categorised into medical terms, male and female. Um, And that can be, there are a lot of different variations of intersex bodies. It's not one kind of body. Um, And I think that there's still a lot that people often confuse intersex with transgender and they're actually Mm. two separate things. So intersex Mm. is related to actual biology. And a lot of people don't actually know they're intersex until they're mm, going through puberty, puberty or they're adults. Yeah. And what about the term gender diverse? Yep, so if we're talking about gender diverse, we're just talking about an umbrella term for anyone that doesn't identify inside the gender binary. So the gender binary being male or female, man mm-hmm. or woman, anything outside of that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned asexual. Uh, asexual is a person who doesn't experience sexual attraction and aromantic is someone who doesn't experience romantic attraction but whenever I read that I always think it says aromatic so (laughs) (laughs) it's not a spice Um, and then I think bisexual and pansexual are a couple of other definitions that people can get caught up on and I know there's often some confusion around that so bisexual generally means romantic or sexual attraction to your own gender and other genders so it's not just attraction to men and women and any um I guess any definition of bisexual that is just men or women is really made outside of the community and within the community would be broader, mm-hmm. whereas pansexual is um, attraction to people regardless of their sex or gender. So it's all 
yeah. bi would be kind so of those some. two pansexual and bisexual are kind of in the same umbrella yeah so kind of if you imagine like that multi-gender attracted um umbrella and bisexual and pansexual would fit in there and both are valid identities and would you know sit alongside each other and community stuff mm-hmm What's your advice to parents or carers who might have young people coming home using words around sex and gender that they don't understand? I think be, just be curious, like be open and curious and, and don't be scared. Ask questions and have a conversation about it. I think maybe try to like whenever we're talking about anything to do with sexuality or gender, we're all coming at it with all of our associated you know, the way that we've been brought up or the way we've been socialised and what we believe to be wrong or right and any, you know, associated shames we might have around that. And I think just trying to let that go and sit with the young person and hear what they're saying and kind of come back to them in a way that makes them feel like they could ask follow-up questions Mm. if need be or tell you things because I don't know if young people ask questions or they just tell you stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, be amazed that they're interested. Yeah, and, I mean, well, yeah. yeah. If, if a young person's coming to you and telling you something about your their sexuality or gender identity. Or, I, or th- that of others. Or that of others, yeah, yeah. Like a really big, I think it's, you know, that's a privilege, I think. Mm. Um, and a really nice way, you know, they obviously really trust you. So I think that's a really weighty thing to have and, you know, to kind of honour that, I yeah. think. Oh, that's a nice way to end. Hmm. <laughs> Leave it on a thanks, high note. Uh, thanks, Nellie. I know there's lots more we could say about this and there this is. is a discussion that <laughs> is, is changing all the time. So people try and get it right and, and then it goes and changes. So Yeah, I think the intent is what's the impo- is the important yeah. thing. And I think, you know, we we're getting a lot of messaging from a lot of different media sources around, you know, sort of, you know, inclusive language or you know, people sort of saying, oh, it's just political correctness. Like this is, it's too much. Like, but really it's just about opening up the conversation so that more people can be involved. And that's not really setting anyone else back. It's just Mm -hmm. about broadening how we talk. So there's only going to be benefits. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks so much for talking to me. No problem. Thank you to Natalie, our excellent community engagement and health promotion officer. Some key things which stood out in this discussion for me are trying to check what stereotypes and prejudices we might have is going to help. Understanding that every group includes diverse people, including diversity of sexuality and gender. Don't make assumptions about a person or group of people. Diversity of sexuality or gender might not be obvious. Intention is really important. People get it wrong sometimes, but it's always clear when someone is trying. Some resources to look up, the Tasmanian Education Department Guidelines for Inclusive Language, Australian Institute of Family Studies has a glossary of terms which are helpful to know, Minus 18 has great resources for schools and families about inclusive language, Diversity Council has some resources including short videos about inclusive language in the workplace, also look up Melbourne Bisexual Network, also ACON uh, has an inclusive language guide. I'll link to all those in the episode notes. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about Family Planning Victoria, go to fpv.org.au. Contact us directly at doingit at fpv.org.au. Follow Family Planning on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. Thanks so much. Bye.